turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to finish up chapter one today. Uh, Paul is going to tell us something about his own life. He's going to give us some examples from his own life, sort of as an illustration of what the things are that he talked about last week. He's now going to apply them. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to go back a little bit. We'll sort of recap the things that he said that we looked at last week, so then we can talk about how he's using himself as an example of that. So Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and, and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So, Paul's using himself as an example. He, he's, he's building on what we looked at last week. I mean, for him, he just wrote it seconds ago. But for us, it's been a week. So let's go back for a second and just recap. You remember, he starts the section we looked at last week, starting in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Gospel just means good news. It's literally the word report and the word good put together. He says, you, you guys are changing the gospel. You're, you're changing the good news of Christianity. You, Paul tells them, you want to make salvation a partnership. You want salvation to be you and God working together. And as he said in the week before that, which again for him, you know, it was just moments before writing his introduction, salvation is not a partnership. Salvation is God working in us. It's Jesus dying for us and God raising him from the dead for us. So if you remember the, the theological terms I told you about, there's atonement, that's the death of Christ where he pays our debt. We, we owed a debt because of the way we messed up our lives. Jesus pays that, he atones for us. And then there's the term Christus Victor, Christ the Victor. He comes back from the dead. He, he defeats sin, he defeats death. So even though we still mess up, Sin can't control us. Even though we will die one day, sin, death can't keep us. Just like what we sang in the song. He, he has defeated death. He, he has saved us. That's the gospel Paul tells them. That's atonement and Christus victor. So I'm going to give you another. We'll have another, our theological term for the day. Okay? That's justification. When we talk about being saved, the theological term is justification. And it's a legal term. It's that moment when the judge pronounces something. It means literally to make something just. So I'm sure you've seen the TV shows and the movies. Maybe you've actually been in a court and seen it. You go through this whole trial, but there is a moment when the judge gives a verdict. Up until then, you don't know. Think, you know, is he innocent? Is he guilty? It, it's out there somewhere. But there's a moment where the judge, will the defendant please rise? Da, 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 da. He says, right, I find you not guilty. Bang, right? 
That is justification. That is a moment in time. It's something that happens legally. Now, all sorts of stuff is going to work out from that, right? They're going to, you know, if he's in shackles, they're going to take shot. Bailiff, please release the prisoner. He's going to get all his possessions back that the police took. Lots of things are going to spin out because of that. But justification is that moment in time. That, when the scriptures talk about our salvation, that's what they're talking about. We're justified. It's something that the judge does. If you're on trial and the judge says, I pronounce you guilty, right? You can't say to the judge, ah, your honor, I don't think you really understand this case. Could we talk about that? Let's go back to your chamber and I'll fill you in. It's not a partnership. It's not you and the judge decide on what's going to happen to you. It's unilateral. The judge does it. Whether you like it or not, boom. It's the judge's decision. That's justification. And it's not a partnership between us and God. God does it. Now, that's different from sanctification, which we will get to later in the book. That is us becoming more and more like God. So you know our analogy all the time, discipleship, two wings of the plane. There's becoming a Christian, there's growing as a Christian. Becoming a Christian is justification. God does it. It's a moment. It happens. Boom. Sanctification is growing. That is a partnership. We work with God. We work with God's spirit. We say yes or no. We obey or we disobey. That that process of working out our faith, becoming more like Christ, that's a partnership. But Paul says to the Galatians, your salvation wasn't a partnership. God did this, and he's going to use himself as an example of that. So follow along with me. We're going to walk through his example and see how he applies it to what he said before. So he begins in verse 13. You've heard about my previous way of life in Judaism. Okay, short aside, just because I think these things are so cool, right? In his language, the word way of life, it's a single word, but it's a compound word. You, you, you know, I told you, they, they love to stick words together all the time. It's the word to rotate or to spin and the word for repeatedly. So what Paul said literally to the Galatians is, you've heard about how I used to roll in Judaism. That's what he said. That, that's the way you say in their language, this is how I live. You say, I turn over and over and over and over again. That's how I roll. When you hear someone today saying, well, you know, that's just how I roll. And they sound so hip and cool and modern. You just remind yourself that the ancients were saying, Plato says that. The ancients were saying that 2,500 years ago. That's how I roll. You've heard about how I used to roll in Judaism. Paul says, I went Intensely, I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. That's another one of those like really serious words. It, it means to, to sack a city, right? Just, just knock it down. I tried to destroy the church. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Wow, that's an understatement to talk about Paul. Now, remember what he said at the beginning. You've heard about my previous way of life. He's writing this letter to churches that he planted one to two years ago. I mean, they know him. They, they, probably they heard these stories from him. You've heard all this. But he's saying to them, like, you remember, right? You, you remember what I told you, the things I said. Paul was a huge deal in Judaism in the late 20s, early 30s, A.D., in the time of Christ. 
He is from a town called Tarsus. Tarsus is in modern-day Turkey. So if you looked at a map, the Mediterranean kind of goes like that, where Israel is right here, and then Syria and Lebanon. All, and above it on the top is Turkey, this big country. Right there in the corner of Turkey, just about 10 miles north of the Mediterranean, is Tarsus. It's still a ma- it's like 3 million, 3 million people today. It's still a major city in Turkey. That's where Paul is from. It is not a center of Judaism. It is not a big deal. Like Jerusalem, that's the center of Judaism. Alexandria in Egypt, that's the center of learning and study. There's a huge Jewish community in Alexandria. There's schools that teach rabbis. There's all sorts of stuff. Paul is not from any of those places. Paul is from Tarsus, which is the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's not even Israel. It's not even, it's it's two or three countries away from Israel. It's nowhere. And yet, somehow, this kid, from no family that anyone knows of, from no school that anyone's ever heard of, from a city that doesn't matter, he ends up in Jerusalem studying under Gamaliel, the the top rabbi of his age, the, the greatest scholar anyone knows in that day. I mean, we don't know what scholarship the kid won, or who he impressed, or what happened, but an absolute nobody in his mid-20s ends up in the center of Judaism, getting his PhD with his advisor as the greatest living rabbi anyone has ever known. When Paul says, oh, you know, I was advancing between many of my age, oh, heck yeah. We think that he was on the Sanhedrin in his 20s. Nobody's on the Sanhedrin in their 20s. When he's converted, he's probably in his late 20s. We think he was born around 5 AD. He's probably converted about 32, 33 AD. So he's he's like 28 years old or so. He has been given a commission from the church, from the church, from the synagogue, the temple in Jerusalem, to go to Damascus and persecute Christians and bring them back for trial. You don't give 28-year-olds that kind of responsibility. You give 38, 48-year-olds that kind of... Paul was a huge, if there was a who's who in Judaism under 30, you know, 12, 12 up, up and coming rabbis to keep your eyes on in 30 AD, Paul was number one on that list. He was a huge deal in Judaism, in Jerusalem at this time. And he says it like, you know, I, I, so he's saying, I was a big deal. You know that. You know, I was a big deal in Judaism, but verse 15, but When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Did you hear that? But God. And do you notice God is the subject of everything else in the rest of that sentence that I read? But God. God set me apart. God called me. It was God's grace. God was pleased. God revealed. It was God's son. Paul said, I was a big deal. You know that. You you know how I used to roll. You know who I was and how important I was, right? But God, God did all these things. Not me. Paul, who was a huge deal, who's studying under the most famous living rabbi there is, who has somehow gone from the backwoods of nowhere to the center of power in rabbinic Judaism. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. Again, we think he, was, he may, very well may have been on the Sanhedrin, the council that rules the whole country. When this guy talks about what happened to him, he never uses the word I, but God. 
God did this. God revealed this. God made this happen. He says God revealed his son in me. Not even to me. I mean, that's what we would say. Right? If, if, and, and again, I, this is the way we talk. If you ask me how I become a Christian, I'm going to say I. Right? I grew up in this church. I went to college. I learned these things. I was good for it. It's how we talk. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But when Paul talks about it, he wants to make really, really, really sure that the Galatians know how this happened. God did not reveal his son, Paul said, to me. So I could think about it and examine it and search the scriptures and make a decision. God did not reach his hand out to me and I reached up. Paul says God revealed his son in me. He says God planned this before I was born. It is tough to take credit for something that happened before you were born. I mean, you could try, right? Why was I born in America? Because all four of my grandparents immigrated to this country, right? Wow, aren't they fortunate to have me as their descendant? That, 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 that I made them immigrate, right? I, I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't even there. My parents weren't even there. It happened before I was born. I don't get to take credit for these things. Paul said, God, God had planned this before I was born. God had set me apart from the womb. I had nothing to do with it. And when God was ready and God was pleased, then God gave me grace. Remember, grace in his language means a gift. It's God's gift to me. God did this for me. God revealed his son in me, not to me, so I could think through it. In me, God did all of this, Paul says. It wasn't me. We don't get anything about Paul until verse 16. God revealed his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So there's absolutely something for Paul to do. It's not just God saved Paul and, okay, great, we're saved. Now, here we go. He absolutely had a purpose in saving Paul. Paul absolutely had a purpose. But it's after he became a Christian. It's not before. It's not a partnership with God. Remember, justification is this moment where God declares. Sanctification, that's the rest of your life. That's working it out. Paul absolutely had a purpose to play in God's world. He had a role to function that God wanted him to function in. He had things God wanted him to do. But it's afterwards. It wasn't part of his salvation. It's what happened afterwards. Now, what do you think Paul's going to do next? I mean, if you try and think about Paul's story, you've got this, okay, so let's say, you know, he's like 28, 29 years old. He gets converted. He's a huge deal. He's been living in Jerusalem for a bunch of years. That is also where the the church is home to. So he probably knows of these guys like Peter and James and John. He he says he's never met them, but I'm sure he's heard about them if he's he's this huge deal in Judaism. They're they're enemies. They're they're opposed to one another. And now he's, he's changed. He's switched. Now suddenly, he realizes that he was wrong, his whole former way of life, he wasn't doing the right thing. What do you think he's gonna do next? Now, okay, and you know, totally word of Jeff, right? It doesn't tell us. But I expect the guy to go to Jerusalem and go meet the big, big, big important people, because he's a big, important guy. He, he's important, he's way up here on the top. I expect him to go check this out. He says, no, actually, I didn't talk to anyone. I left. I went to Arabia. Okay, if you think Tarsus is the middle of nowhere, wow, Arabia. You know what we call that today? We call that the Arabian desert because there's nothing there and people don't live there. It's a desert. He says, I I, I went off for a while. And then I came back to Damascus. Yeah, another huge center where important people go, right? He goes back to Damascus. He says it's years, it's three years 
before he goes up to Jerusalem. He goes up, by the way, it tells us in the book of Acts, because they kick him out of Damascus. They just get, they get so sick of him there that the, the Christians have to like hide him in a basket and lower him down outside a window in the wall because they are looking for Paul to get rid of him. He's so annoying. He goes to Jerusalem. Nobody will meet with him. They're all afraid of him. This guy used to kill Christians, lots of Christians. The last time anybody heard about him was three years ago. He was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians in another city, and then he just disappears. And now three years later, he's back, and no one will meet with the guy. One guy in leadership in the church, his name is Barnabas. Barnabas takes a chance on him. Barnabas goes, meets him personally, hears him out, decides, this, this kid's serious. I mean, this really, really it's, he's really become a believer. God's got a hold of him. And Barnabas brings him back to Peter. And then he meets Peter. He meets James. He stays there 15 days. Yeah, that's because they want to kill him again after that. He's out there. When he's not talking with these guys, he's out in the city preaching. You can imagine how well that goes, preaching Jesus in Jerusalem loudly. Um, and so they want to kill him again. And so the Christians put him on a boat and they send him back home. Uh, Cilicia? That's, that's Tarsus. Tarsus is Tarsus of Cilicia. It's the major town in Cilicia. Syria is where Damascus and Antioch, he, the Christian, Paul comes, he spends a couple weeks in Jerusalem, he meets Peter, everybody agrees, yeah, this, you know, okay. And then they put him on a boat and they send him home. He doesn't stay in Jerusalem. He's not part of anything. He just gets shipped, he's right back where he started as a kid. I mean, he has worked. I assume he has worked so hard. One, again, one does not get to study under Gamaliel just because you showed up for class that day. He has worked so hard up the ladder to become so important in Judaism, and he has lost all of it. And he's not important in Christianity. I mean, he even says that later, right? I went to Syria and um, Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea. Literally, he says, they didn't know my face. And no idea. They didn't know me from Adam. I was just some guy. He got shipped back home after all of this. He's made this big circle from whenever he started studying. Now, you know, he's probably 30, 31, something like that. Um, and he's back home a nobody again. And that's the story he tells to the Galatians. He's saying, you're trying to make grace. You're trying to make salvation a partnership with you and God. Where God comes along and says, oh, I want to save you, but you need to do some work. Remember I told you that, that for the first 15 years of the church, everybody's Jewish that becomes Christian. It's only when Paul starts traveling around in Turkey that you get non-Jews becoming Christians, and the church doesn't know what to do with that. Can you act, can you become a Christian if you don't become a Jew first? They have no trouble with the gospel of grace as long as it's given to Jews, because we've already done the hard work. We're Jews, we're following the law, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And there's a big council, they bring all these people together, they tell all these stories, and they decide, no, you don't have to be Jewish. They, they look at what's happening. Guys who are in these churches, like, you know, um, they, they become Christians and they get the Spirit, like we've seen it happen. It, they don't convert to Judaism and get the Spirit. They, they just confess Christ, and we see the power of the Spirit come upon them. It, it was just like us. They look in the Scriptures and they say, God says he's going to save the Gentiles. doesn't say he's going to convert them to Judaism and save them. And they decide, nope, you can, just, you can just become a Christian. But there are some in the church that aren't okay with that. There, there are Jews, mostly former Pharisees, we think. They're not okay with that. And so they start sending people out to these churches that are full of non-Jews who become Christians, telling them things like, yeah, you know, Paul, he's the advanced team. He didn't give you the whole picture. I mean, yes, salvation by Christ, absolutely. 
But there's some things you need to do beforehand. There's some prerequisites. There's a little surgical procedure, gentlemen, you're going to have to go through. That just that Yes, everything Paul said was true, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the complete story. And that's why Paul's writing Galatians. He's writing back to them to say, don't listen to those guys. Those guys want to make salvation a partnership. You do your part. God will do his part. Here it is. It's like you're a drowning man and God reaches in and you reach up and you grab each other and God pulls you into the boat. Brothers and sisters, that's not salvation. Salvation is you're drowned. You're dead. You are in the water, dead. And Jesus, in his mercy, trades places with you. He doesn't pull you into the boat and the two of you celebrate. He gets in the water and dies so that you can be alive in the boat. It is not a partnership. It is mercy. It is nothing but a gift, Paul says. He says, I was important, and then I wasn't. Why? Why does Paul end up back where he started, in the middle of nowhere? Because what did God call him to? Preach to the Gentiles. How many Gentiles are there in Jerusalem? I'm betting zero. I mean, you know, maybe as high as 10 or 12. It's not a Gentile-friendly city at this point in time in the world. I mean, there's some Romans who are there, and they mostly wish they weren't. Paul is back in the Gentile world. He's back in Syria and, and Sicilia. He's back home where the Gentiles are because that's what God called him to do. I mean, think about that. What, if salvation is a gift from God, that's it. Two, two wings of the plane, right? One wing of discipleship is evangelism. What is the absolute most effective form of evangelism? Prayer. Because it's not them and it's not us. It's God. It's God, God, call, God set me apart God called, God's grace, God was pleased, God revealed, God's son. If it's God at work in people, the absolute most effective way for people to become, come to Christ is that you ask him to. Now, anybody can do that, right? That is not scary. I hope that's not scary. I hope it is not scary to ask God, just like what we did praying for our schools. It's not scary to sit behind a school bus and say, God, I pray you take every single one of those children I pray you claim every, as they walk off that bus, I pray your spirit goes, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. That is not a scary thing to do. And that is the most effective thing to do. And yes, when you get a chance, open your mouth, absolutely. Right, I mean, what did we say last week? Be, be humble, be hopeful, be bold. Right, you get a chance to talk, talk, because you know it's not you. And whatever bumbling nonsense comes out of your mouth, it's not you. It's him. It's his spirit at work in people, setting people apart, calling people, giving them a gift. Like, again, this is the easy part. This is the part you don't have to worry about. This is the part, it is not up to you and you're not gonna mess it up. Pray, open your mouth when you get a chance. This is the hard part. This is the part, sanctification. This is the part that's on us that we have to work on. Much later in the book, we'll get there. We're still on this one. Paul says, this is all God. And remember, he's using this as an example. He's using this to explain to the Galatians. Like, he's giving them the theory, right? You're deserting the gospel. Don't listen to anyone who tells you these things. It's about God. It's not about you and God. Right? And now he's showing that this is exactly what happened in his life. He's not saying, I'm different from you, Galatians. Look at me. He's saying, I'm exactly like you are. I mean, we all had different beginnings. 
We all had different lives. We grew up in different places, but we're all in the church, Paul says, for exactly the same reason. Because God called us and God gave us a gift. And it was all his. It was his idea. He did it. He gave it to us. All of that, Paul says, we all live the same story. And the story has one hero in it. And that hero is Jesus. Again, Paul will use the example in Romans of being dead. We are drowned. We are dead in the water. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, wow, they are struggling so nobly. I will save them. And reaches in and we use our last breath. We reach up. Scripture says we're dead. We're drowned. And Jesus in his mercy trades places with us. He takes our death so we can be alive in the boat. Paul says to the Galatians, there's one hero in our story and that's Jesus. You want there to be two heroes. You want Jesus and you to be the heroes of this story. You and Jesus working together for salvation. That's not the story. Paul says that's another story. In fact, as you remember last week, he says anybody who tells you that story, may God send them to hell. Because it's a lie. It's blasphemy. Don't listen to them. There's only one hero in this story, and that's Jesus. We all have the same story. So what's your story? Like, do you know your story? And again, if you ask me how I became a Christian, I'm going to say I. I, I. Of course, that's the way we talk. But do you understand you're not the hero of that story? You're not the one who figured it out. I am not a Christian because I'm smarter than someone else in college. We both heard the gospel. I accepted it, and the guy, this guy over here didn't. It's not happened because I'm smarter than he is. It doesn't happen because I know more comparative religion than he did. It didn't happen because I'm better and God was so impressed with me. It's a gift. And all I can do is pray that God gives him the gift too. Because that's how we are saved. Jesus saves us. One one hero in our story. Do you know that? Like when you, when you know your story, when you tell your story, when you think about your story, do you get what Paul is saying? Oh yeah, Jesus saved me. It's not me. Again, that's not to say you didn't do anything and, you were, and all this other stuff wasn't going on. Paul has a story. Paul was headed in one direction. It was a really bad direction. And God just, God just grabbed him and turned him. Is there one hero in your story? And that's Jesus. Do you know your story? Again, yes, I, this happened to me and all that. But behind that, right, it, before that, all of that is God at work, Paul says. And he, he tells us how that happened to him. We have a story of being saved. That's all Jesus. One hero, Jesus. And as Paul said, there's a reason. God did this. He revealed his son in me so that I might preach him to the Gentiles. That's why Paul's life is going the way it's going. That's why Paul is not staying in Jerusalem and he's not hanging out in the centers of Judaism and he's not being the big deal he used to be. That's not what God called him to. God called him to go into the hinterlands. God called him to go into the middle of nowhere as far as Judaism is concerned and preach to people that the slang term for in Hebrew is dogs. Gentiles, non-Jews. So there he is at age 30, right back where he started from with the Gentiles. And God will use that. And God will move him out. Do you know your story? 
Like, do you get what God has done in saving you? And do you know why? Because, I mean, this is not the only place in Scripture that says we all have a role to play. It is all over the place. Do you know why God called you? What, what's your role? Why is your life taking the path it's taking? What has God called you to do? What's your purpose? Paul's purpose was to preach to the Gentiles. And so that's where God sent him. And hey, wow, you read the book of Acts, that's what he did. I mean, he is the first guy, at least that we know of, to decide to go on a missions trip. Up until then, people moved places and they told their neighbors and they started churches. Paul decides to go out and start churches in cities that he's not planning on living in. He's just traveling around preaching. Nobody's ever done that before in the church. At least, again, at least that it's written down that we know of. But that's what God called him to do. What did, what did God call you to do? He probably has not called you to go plant churches in Eastern Europe. I mean, if he has, Tim and I would love to talk with you. Okay, absolutely. We are, we are 100% behind that. But he's called you to something. We know from Scripture a few other reasons people were called, because they told us. Paul's called to preach to Gentiles. Peter's called to preach to Jews, it says. So Peter spends his whole life in Jerusalem. He just pretty much never leaves. He never leaves Jerusalem until it is destroyed by the Romans and everybody leaves. And then he, it, church history says, the Bible doesn't say, history says he goes to Rome and he's martyred there. He spends his whole life in Jerusalem ministering to Jews and having them become Christians. That's what God called him to, so that's why he never left the city. That is what God wanted him to do. That's how his life worked out. He did what God called him to. Barnabas, a guy I told you, like nobody would take a chance on Paul. This guy named Barnabas, that's actually a nickname. His name is Joseph, but he's called Barnabas because in Aramaic, the language they spoke, Barnabas means son of encouragement, and that's what God called him to. So when this 30, 29, whatever year old guy who used to kill Christians shows up saying, oh no, I've converted. Oh yeah, like if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. He's the only one in leadership who's willing to go and talk to him. And he brings him in to meet Peter. He will go with Paul on his first missionary journey. He won't go on the second one. Because on the first journey, they, brought, they took a kid, I mean literally, you know, a teenager with him named John Mark and John Mark Bales. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us. He gets homesick. Something happens to him. We don't know. But pretty early in that trip, he is out of there and he goes back home. And when Paul and Barnabas say, okay, let's do another missions trip, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him. And Paul says, no way. That kid's a loser. That kid abandoned us. We are not taking him. Like Paul has a one-strike-you're-out policy at this point in his life, apparently. And that's it. John Mark is out. And so Barnabas says, okay, tell you what, you take these guys but I'm gonna work with John Mark, because that's what God called him to do, was to come alongside people and encourage them. He does that with Paul, and Paul's, Paul's job was to, to preach to the Gentiles. He's still preaching to them. 2,000 years later, we're still learning from him. Barnabas's job was to come alongside and encourage people. When you see him in eternity, tell the man thank you, because John Mark writes the book of Mark, the very first gospel that's ever written. Luke and Matthew are based on it. If John Mark doesn't write that book, we may not have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Paul thought he was a loser and ought to get rid of him. And the son of encouragement says, no, no, I, I, we, I can work with this kid. He comes, he comes alongside him. He works them. He introduces John Mark to Peter. John Mark becomes like a personal secretary to Peter later in his life. That's, that's what he uses to write the book of Mark. He uses all these stories he's heard in his time with Peter. 
Wow, be grateful. That's what God called Barnabas to do, and he did it. So that's what his life looked like. He got to go on the first missionary journey. He didn't get to go on any of the others. That's not what God called him to. What's God called you to? Like, like what's your purpose? What, why does your life taking the shape it does? Are, are you doing what God has called you to do? And again, you know, for Paul, for the first three years, that's to be out in the middle of nowhere. Apparently, other sources tell us, studying. Like, he went off in the middle of nowhere and got out his Bible and started reading again. Like, can this possibly be true? What's God called you to? What's your story? I'm gonna pray over us. I'm gonna pray for God's spirit to speak to you. If you don't know your story, like Paul knows his story. He's using it as an example. I was going this way, but Christ saved me. It wasn't me, it was him. And this is what he called me to do. And so I'm doing it. And this is where I ended up because I needed to be there to do these things. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to speak to you. Do, do you know your story? Do you get that God, if you're a Christian, do you get that God saved you? It wasn't you. You, you don't get to boast. You don't get to be excited. Oh yeah, I did this and I know this and I'm smart. No, no, it, it's just grace. It's God's mercy. It evokes in us exactly what Paul says at the end of this passage. They didn't know me from Adam, but they heard about me and they praised God. Like that's all of our overarching purpose is that God gets praised. But each of us then has our individual purpose. I'm gonna pray that God's spirit speak to you. Did you understand that God has saved you and that wasn't you, but he saved you for a reason, a purpose in his kingdom. And that's, that's what he wants you to do. And that may be why your life is, that's why Paul, I think, gets shunted into the middle of nowhere again. That may be why your life takes the twists and turns that it does, that you're like, what in the world? Why is this happening? What has God called you to? How is God moving you to be ready to be in a position to do the things he wants you to do? I'm gonna pray. Just listen, see if he says anything to you. And see if God's spirit prompts you in any way. And if he says anything to you, say yes. Because everything he says is good. Everything he says is right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I mean, thank you that, that yeah, you, you saved Paul and put him on this path. We are grateful to have his letters. Even though I know that means you'll put him in prison. He, he wrote so many of his letters from prison. You put him in a place where he could do nothing but write. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that, that yeah, you didn't leave him in Jerusalem. You, you weren't gonna put him around Jews. That wasn't what you called him to. You put him around Gentiles. So you sent him back where he came from. Thank you. Like we have benefited. Although I, I, I'm sure that was confusing for him. I'm sure that must have been disappointing to, to be 30 years old and have been great and now to be back in the middle of nowhere. And yet you use that. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for men like Barnabas who, who, yeah, weren't great and don't have books written about them. They came alongside other people and encouraged them and helped them to do the things you had called them to do. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for everyone in this church. I pray for everyone who's watching me and listening to me. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would know our stories. Like we would have our stories straight. We would understand that you have saved us. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we're clever. It's not because we were born in America. It's not because we grew up in the church. It's because you are merciful. As Paul will say in Romans, we were dead. And you saved us by trading places. Thank you. I pray for everyone listening to me that we would all know our stories. We would know that you have saved us and we'd know why. We'd know what you have called us to. Whether that's 
raising kids in this season of our lives or that's leading companies, whether that's giving away money or that's accepting money to go other places in the world. You have called all of us to different things, just like you called Peter and Paul and Barnabas to different things. But I pray, Jesus, that we would know that, that we would not simply live our lives, but that we would live our lives on mission, live our lives with purpose. Because just like Paul, we know what you've called us to. We know why you're steering our lives in the directions you are, just like you did Paul's. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us loudly. You know we struggle to hear. Speak to us in ways we understand, whether that's voices in our minds, things we read, people talking to us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us as a church, that we would know our story. And we'd know our story as individuals, and we'd know our story altogether. To, to be a church that, that is full of disciples who make disciples. That you'd show us how to be involved in that. Jesus, we are yours because you have made us yours. We are in the boat with you because you traded places with us. We were dead and now we were alive. You were dead and now you are alive again. And death will never hold any of us ever again. Thank you. Lord, we are so grateful for your kindness. Be merciful to us today. Give us purpose. Give us mission. Show us why you have called us. How do we bring you glory? And then give us courage. Give us what we need to walk that out and live that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Always. We pray everything in your name. You are our God and we are your people. Amen.